Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning into our first official episode of the Evermore podcast, an exploration of Baltimore's art, history, and forgotten lore. I'm your host, Serena Brontide, and I moved to Maryland in June of 2022 to build a family with the coolest people known to man and to pursue my MFA degree at the University of Baltimore. Since that time, the city has had me under a surprising spell. No matter where you go in the city, you have the opportunity to stumble through space and time. All you have to do is tune into the historical artifacts that are interwoven into the artistic culture that make the city so special. So whether you're a current or previous resident of Baltimore, or maybe you're just interested in thinking about planning a visit one day, let's head out to the very first stop of this auditory tour, Edgar Allan Poe's grave. Now, we all kind of know that there's a thing between the life of Edgar Allan Poe and Baltimore, right? But what exactly was Poe's relationship to the city? And how did he die? And more importantly, where are the bodies now? We'll cover all of these questions and many more on the first episode of the Evermore podcast. Stay tuned. Freedom, freedom, I can't move. Freedom, cut me loose. Yeah. Freedom, freedom, where are you? Cause I need freedom too. And I break chains all by myself. Won't let my freedom ride in hell. Hey, I'ma keep running cause the winner don't quit on themselves. This week's introduction was taken from a performance done by Lady Breon, a Baltimore native who made a name for herself as an international spoken word artist, activist, organizer, and educator. And guys, seeing her perform is absolutely life-changing. You can check out her spoken word poetry album on Spotify and visit ladybreon.com to find her performance schedule. Make sure that you take a look in the show notes for links to her work, including the full video of this performance titled Land of the Free. Okay, so I know you guys don't know me very well yet, so you'll just have to trust me when I say that visiting Poe's grave for me was less about how famous it is and more about being a total literary nerd, and I just, I'm really interested in graves. You'll, you'll learn that soon. So with that in mind, this monument is pretty much a slam dunk for me, but before we delve too deeply into the massive fumble that was Poe's death story, let's start at the beginning, Poe's life. For those of you who might not be aware, Edgar Allan Poe was an American writer, poet, editor, and literary critic. He's best known for his poetry and short stories, particularly those that reflected darker, macabre tones. Some of his best-known works include The Raven, The Telltale Heart, and The Cast of Amontillado. So as I sat down to write this first episode, I remembered the first time that I'd read Poe's work, probably about the year 1999 or so. My father had gifted me a copy of his unabridged Edgar Allan Poe book published in 1983. I grabbed the book from my shelf and I flipped through it to reread the bio provided for the author. I personally found the abrupt frankness of it to be kind of hilarious, so I'm going to share it with you guys now. Edgar Allan Poe, the second son of a hard-drinking actor, was born in Boston on January 19, 1809. Orphaned at age two, Poe was taken in by Mr. and Mrs. John Allen, who gave him his middle name. He accompanied the Allens to England for five years, returning to Richmond in 1820. 
Having excelled at Latin in school, he spent one year at the University of Virginia where he studied Greek, Latin, Italian, and Spanish and ran up several thousands of dollars in gambling debt, which his foster father refused to pay. In 1827, the same year that he published Tamerlands and other poems at his own expense, he joined the army and was stationed at Fort Independence in Boston Harbor. He entered West Point in 1830, only to be expelled a year later for skipping classes and roll calls, whereupon John Allen disowned him. In search of work, he drifted to New York and then Baltimore. Then, in 1831, he sold his first five stories to the Philadelphia Saturday Courier. In 1836, he married Virginia Clem, his 13-year-old cousin. Drinking heavily and often ill in health, Poe eked out a living by serving briefly as the editor of various literary magazines and by writing articles, book reviews, and poems and short stories that later made him famous. His wife's death in 1847 left him despondent, and Poe himself died in Baltimore on October 7, 1849. So, there's a whole lot of oof going on there. But in essence, both of Poe's parents were, in fact, actors. And alcoholism? Well, let's just say there was a disposition for it. His father left Poe's mother in 1810, just one year after Poe had been born, and soon thereafter, Poe's mother passed away from pulmonary tuberculosis. In essence, much of Poe's short life was not spent in the city of Baltimore. Still, it's Baltimore that's earned bragging rights for being the place where Poe truly began to flourish as a writer the place where he found love, and the place where he would mysteriously pass away and be laid to rest within the earth. Do you see how I skimmed right past the part that the love he found wasn't 10 types of morally questionable in 2023? Take that as a lesson in narrative storytelling. Am I right? Anyway, Poe's beloved wife cousin, Virginia Clem, passed away in 1847 from tuberculosis at the young age of 24. After that time, Poe continued to float between Baltimore and New York City. He was working as an editor at several literary journals, writing, and regularly imbibing on brandy eggnog, of all things. Two years later, Poe was scheduled to return to New York from Baltimore, but instead he was found in a state of great distress and in need of immediate assistance, at least according to Joseph W. Walker, the man who found Poe semi-conscious wearing someone else's clothes and wandering through the streets of Baltimore City. The author was taken to Washington Medical College, where he spent four relatively incoherent days before passing away on October 7, 1849. At that time, newspapers reported Poe's condition as congestion of the brain or cerebral inflammation. However, all of Poe's medical records, including his death certificate, are either missing or destroyed. So really, it's anyone's guess what the actual cause of death was. Thus begins the mysteries, theories, and folklore that would surround the death of one of the most influential authors in the 19th century. Theories about his death are not limited to alcoholism alone, however. Other fans have speculated that his death may be the result of epilepsy, heart disease, syphilis, cholera, carbon monoxide poisoning, a brain tumor, or rabies, to name a few. Stay tuned for a visit through Westminster Burial Grounds after I tell you about some super cool things going on in the city over the next couple of weeks. Oh, hey, quick story. As I was planning my first couple of episodes, I decided that I wanted to do a last minute Earth Day special. It's important to know that long before I moved to Maryland, I was already a huge fan of Mr. Trash Wheel. Saving the environment with a googly eyed internet sass master? Forget about it. It's perfection. 
So I sent out a cold email. I didn't even have a website yet. And I just asked them if they'd be kind enough to consider talking to me. And the response that I got was so overwhelmingly kind and supportive. I've already talked to them and we have their episode scheduled as a bonus episode on April 22nd, but I wanted to let you know about some incredibly cool events that they have going on early in April so that you don't miss your chance to be a part of them. Okay, here they are. Are you concerned about the environment? Do you consider yourself to be aligned with chaotic goodness? Does your idea of a secret society involve googly eyes? Well, friends, I have some excellent news for you. For the first time since 2019, new members are being accepted into Mr. Trashwheel's not-so-secret secret society, the Order of the Wheel. The Waterfront Partnership of Baltimore invites all interested to submit their pledge to environmental stewardship by answering several important questions that will help to sort new members into the appropriate faction of the organization. In this questionnaire, you'll have to decide what piece of trash do you most identify with, and how would you dispose of a pizza box after an epic pizza party with the trash wheels? After submitting your application, you'll eagerly await the arrival of your secret society name, the house you've been sorted into, and your first assignment under the order of the wheel. This event is intended to not only encourage community engagement in regard to keeping the Baltimore Harbor clean, but it also invites members from all over the country to demonstrate their commitment to a clean, trash-free environment. You can submit your pledge to the Order of the Wheel until April 16th, 2023. After that, registration to the Secret Society will be closed. Are you a turtle roar, a ratty paw, snakerin, or a fellow otter fluff? Check out the link in the show notes or visit Mr. Trash Wheel on Twitter to submit your pledge today. Mr. Trashwheel is turning nine and feeling fine. Come celebrate the birthday of Baltimore Harbor's heroes at Mr. Trashwheel's Earth Day birthday party. Each attendee will receive a limited edition Mr. Trashwheel gift, a Mr. Trashwheel birthday dessert, and access to a family-friendly party with craft activities, Trashwheel performances, and all the live pythons you could want. Adults 21 and over will also have the opportunity to get their hands on Peabody Heights Brewery's Mr. Trashwheel beer. If you're a member of the Order of the Wheel, or you're just into some whimsical fun, you may choose to adorn yourself in black robes and googly eyes in order to participate in the Trash Wheel Feeding Ceremony. The event will be held on Earth Day, April 22nd, 2023, from 3pm to 6pm at Pierce's Park, located in Baltimore's Inner Harbor. You can visit mrtrashwheel.com to reserve your tickets today. Also, don't forget to tune into the Evermore podcast on the same day, April 22nd, for a special Earth Day episode all about Mr. Trashfield and the family. I can't wait to see you guys there. Okay, and we are back. So as I mentioned earlier, Poe's grave was actually the first monument that I went out of my way to see not long after moving to the area. Last summer, I began volunteering at Mana House when I had some extra time. It's this fantastic organization off of East 25th Street where homeless or displaced peoples can come and they collect a hot breakfast, a packed lunch, and other health and hygiene products that they might need. On this particular occasion, I was serving up breakfast in the city, and once I finished, I had the day to myself, so I decided to start exploring the city up close. First, I took myself on a very casual walking tour of the local street art, which is always phenomenal to do. If you're ever in the city and you're not sure what to do, walk around looking for street art. It's amazing. There's always new things popping up and the things you see are absolutely incredible. But 
Before I left the city and headed back to the Burbs, I also knew that I wanted to make sure to take in some kind of historical monument. The first that came to mind, naturally, was Poe's grave. I had no idea if getting there would be reasonable from where I was because I still had no idea how to get around the city, but I plugged it into the good old GPS and bada bing, 10 minutes later, I arrived. As you approach, you'll recognize the grounds by the towering presence of this large Gothic Revival church that's just absolutely beautiful. And it was built more than 66 years after the cemetery had originally been founded. And you'll walk in from the street, and as you enter the burial grounds, you'll go through a set of these gorgeous Iron Egyptian Revival gates. And the gates themselves were designed by the French-American architect Maximilien Godefroy. The burial ground there within, it's modest in size. All of the gravestones are kind of different. They have some that are decorated tablets. They've got slabs. They've got granite vaults. And then you have hints of catacombs underneath the church that was essentially built on top of the property. Despite the bustling presence of the busy emergency hospital that sits directly across the street, something about the greenery and the moody architectural structures inside gives the illusion of being in another world entirely. After Poe's passing in 1849, his body was laid to rest on the south end of the grounds in the Poe family plot. However, early visitors of the grave site would be shocked to learn that Poe's grave was relatively unmarked for a quarter of a century, with the only point of reference being a piece of sandstone block marked 80. Word on the street is that Edgar's cousin, Nielsen Poe, whom Edgar at one point referred to as the bitterest enemy he had known in the world, commissioned a headstone from Hugh Sisson made of white Italian marble for Edgar's grave. Unfortunately, that tablet was destroyed by a train. Oh yeah, you heard that correctly. A train jumped off the track and smashed Poe's original headstone before it ever made it to the cemetery. Sisson's explanation was later quoted in June 1895 edition of Century Magazine. The tablet was finished and standing in my yard. It was to be erected in the cemetery the following week, and it would have been, but for a most extraordinary accident on Friday or Saturday preceding. My yard adjoins the tracks of the Northern Central Railroad. A freight train ran off the track, broke down the fence, and did more or less damage to other work, but the only irreparable damage was done to post tablet that was smashed to pieces beyond all power of restoration. Now... I don't know about you guys, but that irony just screams big Poe energy to me. I love it. I hate it, but I love it. So eventually, the plot itself becomes unkempt and deeply unremarkable. But the same could not be said about Poe's life work, which only grew in popularity years after he passed. This prompted poets and other fans of his work to flock to the burial grounds to pay their respects and perhaps even draw inspiration. But essentially, they were drawing inspiration from an overgrown bit of unremarkable grass and weeds. It wasn't until 1865 that a local school teacher named Miss Sarah Sigourney Rice would say, enough is enough, and begin drawing attention to the need for a more suitable grave marker for the famed author by establishing the Poe Memorial Fund. Her endeavor attracted the attention from media on more than one occasion, And in 1865, the Baltimore Daily Commercial printed the following. Poe's life was one massive contradiction. 
He was dissipated and generous, ennobled in his thoughts, luxurious in his ideas, yet followed by poverty to his grave. Whatever opinion may be entertained in regards to his personal conduct, no one can deny to him transcendent genius, vivid imagination, and talents of the highest order. And yet, this man, whose works are the ornaments of our national literature, whose fame is worldwide, whose name is a household word, reposes today in an unmarked grave in an obscured lot with no monument to tell the traveler when he treads over the remains of this exalted genius. It took nine years to complete the $1,500 funding initiative, which by today's standards would have come out to just under $40,000. And then it was time to get to work. The new Poe Monument was designed by the architect for Baltimore City Hall, and the execution of the monument became Hugh Sisson's second chance to create a lasting monument for Poe's legacy. And while I can find no evidence of this, I do like to think that when recommissioning Sisson, the contract included some kind of restraining order on the proximity to train tracks and his workspace. Just a thought. Though Poe's original resting place fell towards the back of the cemetery, within the limitations of the Poe family plot, the new memorial was prominently placed at the northwestern corner of the cemetery in November of 1875. The reason for this relocation was largely due to the presence of the church itself, which would render the memorial invisible from street view. However, there were also complications with the amount of space that was available in the small cemetery. Today, Poe's original grave is marked with a tablet marker that is relatively unexceptional except for the image of the raven carved into the corner. The new grave site sits near the gated entrance at the corner of the lot. Visitors walk upon brickwork in this section and are quick to stumble upon the ornate marble tower that stands roughly 7 feet tall on a large slab of granite. The front of the tower currently features a bas-relief bust of Poe cast in bronze with the name Edgar Allan Poe in all caps along the base of the marble. It should be noted that when the monument was first presented, the original portrait of Poe was carved in a statuary marble by Frederick Volk, but the material could not stand up to the weathering, and so it was removed from the monument and placed on display in the church's catacombs. The idea to replace the original portrait with one cast in bronze first came about in 1938. However, it had to be replaced after the first medallion was stolen in the late 1970s, probably by a train. The other three sides of the tower offer an inscription for each of the three family members that are represented. The north-facing side is in memory of Poe's mother-in-law, Maria Poe Clem, born March 17, 1790, died February 16, 1871. The south-facing side is dedicated to the memory of Poe's beloved wife-cousin, Virginia Clem Poe, born August 15, 1822, died January 30, 1847. Finally, the western side of the monument is dedicated to the man himself, Mr. Edgar Allan Poe, born January 20th, 1809, died October 7th, 1849. So here's the real test in active listening. Remember when I was reading Poe's biography from my book? What was Poe's birthday? I'll give you a hint. It was not January 20th, 1809. In fact, Poe's birthday is January 19th of 1809, so when people question why the birthday was incorrect, Sisson was reported to have said, You, sir, would not believe it. The train came back and carved it himself. Okay, the last part isn't true. 
it was probably just normal human error. However, many people have also speculated that this is just one more mystery to add on to the pile of the curious case of Poe's death story. Honestly, I'm not sure whether I find more joy in answering every Poe-related mystery with the concept of a villainous sentient train, or in the very real way that everyone notices all of this stuff, but essentially just shrugs and says, hey man, sometimes Poe be like that classic. Anyway, we now know that Poe has two different grave markers in the same cemetery. But where is the body? The intention behind the new monument was to have Poe, Virginia, and Maria's bodies all exhumed from their resting places and then reburied under this new grand monument. This was, however, a new opportunity for a Poe-related mystery, and so fan theories have been running wild for all of these years. The rumor is that digging up a grave that went unmarked for a quarter of a century wasn't as simple as one might think, and it's completely possible that it took a couple of tries before finding the right casket. Some people believe that they never found Poe's body. Others think perhaps they never even tried to. However, there are reports of the body being exhumed in 1875 under the supervision of Poe's old cousin enemy, Nielsen, and George W. Spence, the men who originally buried Poe's body in 1849. During that time, the casket and body were examined. Of the body, Spence stated, his brain rattled around inside, just like a lump of mud. Of course, we now know that whatever was rattling inside of the skull could not possibly be Poe's brain. It was much more likely to be a calcified tumor. Nevertheless, Poe's body and that of his mother-in-law were said to be the first two bodies at the new gravesite, if for no other reason than to support the foundation for the new monument. Virginia Clem's remains, however, were largely forgotten about. She had been buried at Fordham Cemetery in Boston, a place with a very Poe-like mystery all its own. In 1875, the same year which her husband's body would be upturned from the earth with purpose, a portion of the Fordham Cemetery would be raised, with no living relatives to claim Virginia's remains. Miraculously, a well-known Poe biographer named William F. Gill had been following the reburial process with enthusiasm, and he just so happened to arrive at Virginia Clem's grave the day that she was taken from the earth. Gill was able to claim the remains and leave with them in a box. Two years later, Virginia Clem was laid to rest with her husband and mother. People speculate that for the two years in between, the box of her bones was kept under Gill's bed. Despite the author's lackluster funeral, the unveiling of the Edgar Allan Poe Memorial Grave was an event to be remembered. Hundreds of people gathered in the surrounding streets, rendering them completely impassable. The Baltimore Philharmonic Society performed, Walt Whitman, another esteemed poet, spoke, and letters from H.W. Longfellow, William C. Bryant, and Alfred Lord Tennyson were read. Throughout the years, other events have surrounded Poe's memorial, and it isn't terribly abnormal to see it decorated with a tribute or some other kind of offering left behind. If Poe's grave sounds like a place that you'd like to visit in Baltimore, you might also consider stopping by the Edgar Allan Poe statue, a monument to a literary icon that can be found in the Gordon Plaza at the University of Baltimore. You may also want to visit the Edgar Allan Poe House and Museum, at this location, you can visit the quaint house that Edgar Allan Poe called home from 1833 to 1835. During this time, he wrote some of his most gripping masterpieces. After that, 
you can always drop by the Horse You Came In On Saloon. This well-known dive bar opened in 1775 and is said to be the last place that Poe had a drink before being found in the gutter at Fells Point. Each of these may get their own episode with time, but until then, I hope you can still enjoy them if you get the chance. Now, as you may have guessed, Baltimore isn't the only area that's got a claim to fame on behalf of Poe. You can also pay a visit to the Edgar Allan Poe Museum in Richmond, Virginia. Additionally, Poe's birthplace, Boston, honors the author with a square named after him. Inside of that square, a statue was erected in 2014 that features Poe frantically racing away from the commons. Now, the statue in Boston is actually incredibly interesting. Poe looks like he's walking away with haste while a raven bursts out of his luggage. Behind him, pages are spilling out of his bag and onto the street. Some of the pages are completely untethered from the rest of the monument and surrounded by brick. The pages are lined with quotes from Poe's stories written in or about Boston. A heart, representing his story The Telltale Heart, also written in Boston, sits on top of a pile of loose-leaf pages behind him. The artist, Stephanie Rocknack, has expressed that the statue stands to represent the complex and often contentious relationship that Poe had with his Boston roots. Awkward, but still very cool. And that's a wrap on Evermore's first episode. Thank you so much for joining me, and don't forget to tune in next Wednesday for our second episode, where we'll be exploring the seriously strange history of Ouija boards in Baltimore while sipping on a Slurpee because... Oh, Nelly, we're going to 7-Eleven. Also, don't forget to visit theevermorepodcast.com, where you can view a transcription of this episode, see photos that I took of street art and the Westminster burial grounds during my first visit, links to our sponsors, and some supplementary information for those interested in learning more. Finally, if you've been kind enough to stick with me for this long, I wanted to let you know that I like to reward this kindness. And so after wrapping up each episode, I'm going to be spilling a bit of tea about myself. This week, in the spirit of Edgar Allan Poe, I wanted to confess that while I do not have a raven tapping on my chamber door, I do have a crow friend named Hannibal who does indeed tap and call at my bedroom window each morning, about 15 minutes before my alarm goes off, which... I cherish. Good morning, Hannibal. Quaff the crow. Give me some peanuts, lady. Thank you so much for showing up, you guys. This just means the world to me. Thank you for listening, and I can't wait to see you guys next week. Okay, bye.